official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. What a time in worship we've had this morning. Um, I just, I, uh, I want to come to you. I didn't plan on saying this, but uh, uh, I feel like the enemy is really interested in this service right here. Um, I'm not 100% sure why, but uh, if you needed to hear what Shannon had to say this morning, about community and spiritual attacks, would you just kind of raise your hand? Yeah, I did too. You know, um, the the message for me this week, I haven't wrestled with a message like this in a long, 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 long time. And literally, it didn't get finished until 6.30 this morning. So, um, so and the worship team has admittedly had a had a chaotic morning they said that themselves and i just feel like the enemy is really interested in this worship service for some reason so here's what i want you to do i want you to turn your ears on really intently this morning um i i i don't know if what i have is for you today but i want you to listen as if it is okay can we make an agreement with that and then we can evaluate later <laughs> together in, in community, right? Right. Cool. Well, yeah, awesome. This book I hold in my hand probably looks familiar to some of you. It, it's not digital in any way. There's actually words and stuff like on, on paper and there's like little gold gold stuff right here like it's 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 crazy but but this book in my hand is a lot of different things to a lot of different people some people it imparts wisdom to others it's just like straight up confusing uh to some it offers illustrations that they find applicable to their life to others it feels outdated for the times that we live in. I asked, um, I asked some of my friends um, on, on the Facebook machine um, to, uh, to complete this sentence. So I, I asked some people to complete this sentence. To me, the Bible is. Just complete that sentence. That's what I asked. And in brackets, I actually put Christianese not required. Right, like the, the Christian lingo kind of stuff. Like I wanted real answers, you know, and, and so I, I actually got some really interesting answers. Uh, some people said to me, the Bible is a history book, a love story, a life policy, and procedure manual. Others said the Bible is a collection of stories in which, although not fully true, much truth can be found. One person said to me, the Bible is the most sold and least understood book ever. Another person said, the Bible is living and is meaningful for the past, present, and future. One guy who was, pivotal, who was a pivotal leader uh, for me when I was a brand new believer, he said, to me, the Bible is a door to the most important relationship you will ever have. I love that. That's a good one. 
Another lady said, the, my Bible is a civil right that not all people on earth have. Others just used a couple of words to describe the Bible. Words like peace, love, life, truth, God breathed, my everything. While others said that the Bible is simply a love letter to mankind. The Bible is so many different things to so many different people. It's really easy to get caught up in, in one section of what this book has to offer. Like, there are all kinds of themes running through the text of the Bible. Like, like redemption, betrayal, good, evil, fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, Miracles. Oh, wait, that's actually the Prince's Bride. But actually, it kind of lines up pretty well, right? But I digress. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> from, from, from a 10,000 foot view, the truth is the Bible is one cohesive story. From Genesis to Revelation, it tells one story. And the true story of the Bible is about a loving creator who wants to be known in his true nature by his creation. This theme is the common thread that runs the course of the entire Bible, which we see as early as Genesis chapter 1, when God created out of his own image, Adam and Eve. And what's the first thing he tells them? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's every husband's favorite scripture to quote to his wife. Well, honey, you know, I know you have a headache, but the Bible says, you know, like, we can't just shirk off our duty here, you know, like, got to be fruitful. And, uh, and in chapter 3, Adam and Eve choose to sin against God. And when this happens, God was out walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Just, let's just pause there right there for a moment and marvel at the fact that Adam and Eve had such an intimate relationship with God that God could enjoy the cool of the day by casually taking a stroll through the garden. That intimacy with God is one of knowing and being known. But because of their sin, God had to separate himself from Adam and Eve because he literally cannot have sin in his presence. And that, he, he, like, he's that holy. And, and that moment of separation set into motion a plan of restoration that is still unfolding to this day. A plan that will once again restore men and women and children into the actual presence of the Lord. And that plan was Jesus Christ. God's heart to be known and obeyed by every nation and all people. God made a way for us to be able to know him through Jesus. You, now get this, you knowing Jesus is the only way for 
God to be known by you. I'm going to say that again. You knowing Jesus is the only way for God to be known by you. God doesn't stop with you. He desires to be known by all people, every nation, tribe, and tongue. And and so it's our job as Christians, as Christ followers, to spread the word of who this Jesus truly is. Today we start a new sermon series called The Great Commission. For the next three weeks, we're going to discuss God's heart for all people. We're going to take a look at the obedience in which we are called to serve with and what we can do to better make disciples in all nations of the earth. If you're just getting familiar with the Bible or maybe you're unaware of what the phrase The Great Commission is referring to, Just let me explain for a moment. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born to the earth. Fully man and fully God. He lived a perfect, sinless life and died an agonizing sinner's death that he did not deserve on a cross. He lay in a tomb for three days until the chains of death could no longer hold him. And he rose from the grave. He showed himself to his followers and left them with a job to do until he returns. We find these last instructions Jesus gave his followers before being taken up to heaven in Matthew 28 verses 18 and and 20, 18 through 20 rather. Um, Let me read this, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These instructions still apply to us today because the end hasn't come yet. This this is the job that has been handed down from generation to generation of Christ followers. This job of disciple making will continue to be ours until Christ returns to claim his throne upon the earth. And believe me, he is coming. Jesus actually promises a few chapters earlier in Matthew 24 that he will not return until the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So in other words, until every single person on earth has at least been made aware of the gospel We people who call ourselves Christ followers have work to do. Here's the question, though. Do you ever wonder how we're doing? Like, not just as a church, not just as a denomination, but as believers worldwide. How are we, all the believers on earth, doing in this task of spreading the gospel of Jesus. I mean, 
if only there was a video with a random hand kind of drawing out the answers with cheery music behind it to answer these questions. Um, oh, wait, there is. Roll it. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well. $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. $5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. 
that leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all missions money going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? That's a really good question. What are we going to do to change that? The mission is asking itself that very same question because that video, the first time I saw it, is, was staggering to me. Um, and we have formed a small serve committee here at the, at the church, and the purpose of this committee is to evaluate how do we do a better job of serving and making disciples in our neighborhoods and in the nations. And this is something that's been on my heart as the, as the leader of this church for a while now, and seeing people of the mission leave the seats of the church and make disciples in our area and support those who are making disciples among the nations of the earth. And I'm so thankful to serve and be a part of a denomination that has this deeply embedded into its DNA. Um, you know that video w- w- when the hand was talking, right? Um, World A, the 3%. The, the unreached population, the percentage, you know, remember that part of the video? Well, I, I, it, it really, these people have no access to the gospel and, and, and they have no churches or Bibles or people to tell them about Jesus. And, and, it, and I'm very pleased to tell you that our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, sends 82% of its missionary forces to the least parts of the world, the least reached parts of the world. So, so that, so when you support the alliance and its missionary efforts, you are being part of the solution that this video of, to the problem that this video makes us aware of. Because God's heart isn't just that our nation would know Him, but that all nations of the earth would know Him. His His heart has always been for all people. When God made his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, he said, I will bless you and your descendants, and I will turn you into a great nation. And, and all the other nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That nation, Abraham and, the, and his descendants became, that God promised, was the nation of Israel. And God used this nation as the vehicle to bring us Jesus. Jesus came from the bloodline of King David, but it's also important to remember that Jesus had both Jew and Gentile lineage, and his, he regularly broke cultural boundaries that had been set in place that were not of God. And one particular instance of this in John chapter 4, after, after Jesus had been traveling, he's weary and he sits down next to a well. And a woman comes to draw water from the well. But she wasn't just any woman. She was a Samaritan woman. And 
And to a Jewish person, a Samaritan was the absolute epitome of unclean. Jewish folks felt so strongly about Samaritans that they were instructed to not even speak to them. That when traveling, Jewish would people... Jewish people would go miles out of their way to avoid places where they might encounter a Samaritan. And though Jesus himself was born into a Jewish culture, he cares deeply about the salvation of all people. So I want to I just briefly check this story out. Um, so Jesus is, is sitting by this well, resting in John 4, starting at verse 7. A woman from Samaritan came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "Uh, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a, a, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Uh, he gave us the well and, and drank from it himself. And as did his sons and his livestock, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, (laughs) which makes me laugh every time because that's like the most no duh moment in the Bible, right? Um, Sorry, verse 20. Our, our, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? or Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went. Away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
Can this be the Christ? Okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about what we just read just briefly. There's so much in this text that we could pull out um, and, and talk about, but I want to focus today on what Jesus talks about towards the end of, of this passage. And Jesus, weary after traveling, sits down near a well to rest, and he encounters a Samaritan woman. And as I already said, Samaritans were the outcasts of society. They, they were, they were a radical, mixed group of partly Jewish and partly Gentile ancestry, and they were disdained and viewed as unclean by both Jews and non-Jews alike. A traditional Jewish man would have never even been in the area where he could have run into a Samaritan person. And if he did, he most likely would have ran the other way so he didn't become unclean. But Jesus is not your average Jewish person. Not only does he not run away, but he engages her. He even asks her for a drink of water, which would have been unthinkable for any, any other Jew. Shocked, the woman responds like... Uh, are, are you are you talking to me? Um, you you know where I'm from, right? Like, and, and and as we already read, Jesus engages in this interaction with this woman that speaks volumes about not only who she is but who he is. Jesus says in verse ten, "If you knew the gift of God and who it is that was saying to you, give me a drink.'" You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Basically turning her question back on her like, yeah, I I know where you're from. But if you only knew who I was, you would be asking me for for the living water. And so that you would never be thirsty again. And the woman's now is interested now and is like, okay, tell me more, you know, (laughs) like tell me more. Eventually, it comes out that the woman has had five husbands, and the guy she's with now is not her husband, which either means she is a black widow or she's trying to get her divorce attorney loyalty card fully punched. Like, we we don't know why she had so many guys in her life, but Jesus is almost in a cheeky way, like cutting to the chase with the purpose of making her aware that he knows her deeply. She responds by saying, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She's pointing out the main, one of the main points of contention between Jewish people and Samaritan people, where God was to be worshipped. And, and the Jewish people believed that was Jerusalem and and where God was to be worshipped, and the Samaritans believed that it was the very mountain where Jesus and the woman stood. And Jesus' response is critical to our understanding of God's heart for all people. Jesus says in verse 21 through 24, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we, we know. For salvation is from the Jews. He's talking about himself there. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's like Jesus is kind of saying, honey, don't, don't worry about all that. Because a time is coming and is basically upon us when it's not going to matter where you worship God. Because the Father God is not confined to a mountain or a building. Pretty soon the true worshipers of God will be the dwelling place of God. Because the Holy Spirit will indwell in them no matter where they are. The, worship, the, the, the woman casually turns the conversation to the rumored Messiah. And that when, she, when he comes, he will explain everything. I feel like she's kind of fishing at this point. Like she kind of she suspects that Jesus might be the Messiah, but she's not really sure. So she's kind of fishing, you know. And, and Jesus, Jesus takes the bait and he says, I who speak to you am he. Which was very uncharacteristic of, of Jesus. He almost never openly uh, admits to being the Messiah, but he wanted this woman, the so-called lowest of the low, to know who he truly was. Just then the disciples come back and break the moment. The disciples were stunned to find Jesus not only talking to a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. They didn't say a word, though, because they could sense that they had just walked in on something sacred. Before anyone could speak, the woman drops her water jar and runs into town, telling everyone in her path that the Messiah is here. God's heart has always been and will always be for all people. He doesn't care if you're the most popular person on the earth or the lowest of the low. He loves you. He doesn't love the sin in your life, but he does love you. And just like he loves the people who currently have no access to the gospel that we spoke of earlier, their ways may be different than our ways, but it doesn't mean that they're any less worthy of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's heart is for all nations, all people. He wants to be known by everything that has breath and to be praised by all creation. The psalmist got it right in Psalm 96 as the worship team comes. Uh... Psalm 96, every time you hear something that you know is true about God, I want you to say something, whether it's woo or amen or woot or what, whatever, you know, raise the roof. Um, I want every time you hear something that you know is true about God, I want you to make some noise as we read this. Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day 
today. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared among all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength And beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord is established. It shall, the earth is established. The world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your words. So, So Mission Church, let's do this thing, right? Let's declare the Lord's glory among the nations. Let's start with our own backyard. How about that? Let's start there. And let's continue to support those who are called to do it in the unreached places of the earth. Let's take a hard look at our job as believers to make disciples. And whether we are being effective or not, because there is a day coming when Jesus will return to claim his throne upon the earth. Revelation 7, 9, and 10 give us a glimpse of what that day is going to look like. And it says this, Behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages stand before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, his palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the day that's coming. As I said in the beginning, this book right here, this is a story of a loving creator who wants to be known in his true nature by his creation. Knowing Jesus is the only way for God to be known. Doing the job of making disciples that Jesus left us with in the Great Commission is the only way those people in the unreached parts of the earth and the people who live next door to us are going to know Jesus. We need to make every effort to make sure the gospel is shared with them. 
the gospel of the Son of God leaving his place in heaven to become a man, fully man, a fully God. A man who took the sin of all of us on the, sh- on, on the sin and shame that we carry to the cross and died a sinner's death even though he lived a perfect life. The gospel He then was raised from the dead on the third day to glory. And don't forget this part. He's coming again. So we're going to move into a time of communion now. So I want to pray over our time. If you've never taken communion with us, what we do is I'm just going to pray. And then we're just going to... Mark's going to play the piano a little bit. And as you feel ready, as your heart feels ready, just come up to either side of the stage and partake. Um, You can take the cup and the bread back to your seat and pray and take it as you wish. Um, But we're going to move into a time of communion now. And and I just want to pray over this time. Um, Father God, we just continue to declare your faithfulness, Lord. God, that you are faithful to your creation. Lord, and as you called us to, Lord, we remember your son's sacrifice. We remember with the bread, his broken body that was beaten and punished for our sins and shame. We remember with the cup that his blood was spilled for each and every one of us. We remember you now, Lord, and the sacrifice that you made. And we look towards the day when every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess, every nation, tribe, and tongue will bow before your seat, your feet. Salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lamb. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come as you're ready. You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.